Joyce Tapley, as a CEO of a multi-million dollar healthcare center, is a proven thought leader on matters of public health. We created this podcast because it's time for a real discussion about the state of healthcare in our nation. Welcome to a new episode of Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. I'd like to welcome Kiva Harper to the show. She and I met, along with her colleagues who had hosted a premiere of the film of health disparities called A Deficit of Virtue. I was one of the executive producers of the documentary. Kiva is a licensed clinical social worker specializing in trauma-focused psychotherapy for more than two decades. She is widely respected as a national thought leader in trauma treatment. She speaks and consults extensively as a mental health correspondent for network TV and radio. She is also a contributing writer to industry trades and a social media influencer. Kiva, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And I am glad you are here. So let's talk a little bit about the state of mental health care in the United States. Kiva, you are boots on the ground. What are you currently seeing and what are you hearing about where people are as it relates to their mental health? And I want you to give our listeners a flavor and a temperature of the state of mental health in the United States. That's such a good question. And I'm glad you asked, because I think we tend to forget that we're still living in a pandemic and it's really taken its toll on us. You know, we're all collectively experiencing a trauma right now just with the pandemic. So that coupled with just life, the things that happen every day in life and people's mental health in general added together has really made it a difficult time in America. You know, in my practice, I'm seeing people who are, you know, seeking therapy for the first time, returning to therapy, people that I've terminated with over a year ago, coming back because they need additional support. I just think people are really struggling, just trying to be mentally well right now. And what are some of the things that they're saying that they're struggling with? I'm seeing people having an increase in substance misuse, increased consumption of alcohol and other non-prescribed drugs. I've seen people reliving past traumas, struggling with depression, anxiety, problems focusing, all of those things. And I would imagine, too, because people had to stay indoors a lot, either with family. Normally, people may be away from the home, so they don't have to see their family members on a regular basis. But now that they're caught up and having to stay at home with everyone, I would imagine that has added to some of the stress. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, I should have said that marital problems and, you know, just problems with their interpersonal relationships. That's been an issue. Grief, grief and loss. I think we don't think enough about how much grief is involved in living through a pandemic because you don't know what to expect. You know, I don't even think people even say when things get back to normal anymore because our normal has changed. And so the loss of, you know, celebrating birthdays, events, just things that you wanted to do. You know, I remember the first year I thought about high school kids and the ones that were graduating. They missed so many of those activities that are so important that you look forward to your whole high school career. And many of those things were canceled or modified in some way. And so that affects us as well. I've heard this term called trauma-informed care. Can you talk a little bit about what that really means? Yes. The informed part, particularly. Trauma-informed care is something that we really need to see in all settings, particularly in healthcare, 
because the goal is to not do any further damage. You know, we know that many people have dealt with some sort of a trauma in their lifetime. And so, say, for instance, you're doing an H&P in a healthcare setting, it's very important to understand the principles of trauma-informed care and not do any further damage. And so having people trained in trauma-informed care is really the way that we hold space for our clients, ensure that they're not re-traumatized, ensure that we are also looking at whatever it is that they're presenting to us for, looking at that through this view, being trauma-informed. And so we're better able to help them in that way. It is kind of the buzzword right now. Yes. And could yeah. you explain for the listeners, what is H&P? History and physicals. So anytime you see a patient, you take the history and physical mm-hmm. and you use that information to determine if there's any trauma that they've experienced. Is that how that works? It's kind of an assessment. And so as I'm going through that assessment, let me give an example. If I'm working with someone who has a history of being sexually assaulted and I'm seeing them in the OBGYN's office, And I'm doing that assessment and I may ask the question, you know, how many pregnancies have you had? How many live births have you had? When you're trauma informed, you don't ask the person to go into details of explaining the trauma. So it's enough to get that information and then just keep moving. Because if you were to go into greater detail, that may unravel this wound Mm -hmm. that you're not equipped to deal with. Okay. And you're a licensed clinical social worker. What is the S? Oh, the S stands for a supervisor. Okay, so you're yeah. a supervisor. So what does a licensed clinical social worker do in comparison to a psychologist or a psychiatrist? I think it's really all in the way that we're trained. I, I think it's important to, I'm glad you're asking this as well, because a lot of people question that. Start with the psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor. And so generally they do an exam and they prescribe medications. You know, not very many psychiatrists actually do therapy. So that's a common misconception. So they'll see you for med management and control the symptoms and then refer you to a therapist. Now, as far as psychology, licensed professional counselors, licensed clinical social workers and others, we are all clinicians and we provide therapy. We're just trained differently. And as a social worker, I am trained to see the person in their environment. Mm -hmm. We have this huge social justice part of our core values, and that's what makes us unique from some of the other helping professions. But ultimately, you know, the goal is to do the same. It's just how we're trained. And so you have sessions and listen and counsel them, Mm -hmm. advise them like the psychologist would, like the LPC, licensed professional counselor would. Yeah, same thing. And you mentioned, you know, we talked earlier about trauma-informed care. I'm a trauma-focused therapist, so... In my practice, I actually deal with the trauma head on. And so Mm -hmm. when people come to see me, that is what we're working on. We're working on resolving that trauma in some way so they can learn to live with that and not be as bothered by the symptoms. Let's talk a little bit about adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs. We all think about the past somehow doesn't matter. We think it should be forgotten or washed away. We all fall prey to that. When I first learned about adverse childhood experiences and the ACEs quiz, and how they can impact children and adults, I knew we needed to have you on this show. And I want you to talk to the listeners about this particular topic, be as detailed as you can, and just take us through ACEs and how it can help us in the future. Okay. The ACEs, like you said, it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it's a 10-question questionnaire. 
And I actually send this to all of my clients prior to meeting with them. I have every single person to fill this out, no matter what they're presenting for, because it lets me know so much about them. And what they found is that all of these people were being referred for assessment for things like ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, things like that. That was happening with all of these young kids. And upon further exploration, they found that these children had experienced some horrific traumatic events and it led to physical problems. And so when we talk about mental health being health, we know that the more trauma a person experiences at a young age, the more of an adverse effect it could have on their physical health as well. So an increase in numbers of children with asthma, you know, adults with hypertension, things like that. So what are the questions? There were 10 of them. I don't know them all by memory, but, you know, some of them are, you know, have you ever had a parent or caregiver be incarcerated? Have you ever witnessed your parents engage in domestic violence? That's not the exact wording, but something along those lines. I think there's a question about if you were ever belittled or made to feel inferior as a child, that's Hmm. on there. So there are several questions just about trauma. And so when they finish completing the 10 questions, is there a score or ranking? And then what happens at a certain score? What takes place next? So there are 10 questions and they're scored one point each. And so anything over four is significant and worth talking about. Six and up is considered extremely high. And does that mean that the person talks to you and you work with that person on those different areas or do you refer them to someplace else? What it tells me is I look at why the person is seeing me because they may be seeing me for something completely different. They may be seeing me for work stress, but the ACEs tells me that they've also had a great deal of trauma. And so in my work with them, I recognize that the work stress may be very much related to past trauma. And so in my work with them, you know, in dealing with whatever's going on at their place of employment, those things may come up and I need to be able to be prepared to deal with that. I generally don't ask them to go into great details about any traumatic experience at the beginning, just because I'm usually not ready to open that wound at the beginning. But just them filling that out lets me know a lot. Just if their childhood was chaotic, that there's a place for that. You know, it's important for me to know that and understand that in the context of whatever else it is that I'm doing with them. Okay. And then are these assessments only done on adults or what's the youngest age that you perform the ACEs assessments? I only see adolescents and adults. So I don't know. I believe that the original study was done on children like school age and older. So anyone who comes into yours, that's school age. So we're talking about five, six and up, then you ask those questions. And the parents are there, so they help mm-hmm. answer the questions yeah. for them. Yeah, I usually have the parents to fill that one out okay. because sometimes the kids may not even know the answers to all of mm-hmm. those things. And how is going through this process beneficial versus the traditional taking a history and physical and just asking yeah. some assessment questions? I do do an assessment in addition to that, but These are questions that you generally don't ask, and it just lets me know, particularly because the majority of the clients that I see are ethnic minorities, mostly Black people. And so it just lets me know that they may have some physical problems as well. And I look at the whole picture. And so if, you know, I have a person that I'm seeing and they are dealing with anxiety and depression, but they also have 
hypertension or sleep apnea or something like that. You know, I want to work closely with their medical provider as well. So we're ensuring that everything is being addressed and that we're on the same page. You answered my question about your connection with the primary care provider. Yeah, yeah you do yeah. have that connection. That's yeah, great. I tried to give me a release. I definitely try to do that, particularly if it's if I think what I'm doing with them is going to be beneficial to the work that the doc is doing with them as well. And is the ACES questionnaire process implemented at all practices or? You know, I was actually surprised that a lot of people don't even know about it. It's been something I've been using for years, but no, I don't think everyone uses that, but some people do. And what is the benefit in a practice for using this versus some of the other tools that are used? For me, just because I treat trauma, it just lets me know how early they experience trauma, what their beginnings looked like, and it gives me things to watch out for in the future. And then also it helps them to see, you know, I think sometimes when you're living through something, you tend to normalize it. And so to see, oh, I've scored a seven on the ACEs, this is not normal. This is not okay. No wonder I'm having these issues because my childhood was pretty chaotic, even though everyone normalized it. So it really does open up their eyes to how their past or some kind of trauma could have affected them Yeah. now. I actually just, last week, I spoke to a group here in Dallas. It was just employee wellness for Black History Month, and we were talking about the stigma of seeking help for Black people. And I probably answered one or two questions. That was it. And one of the employees that was there, a young Black man, sent me an email afterwards and told me, that just in the course of our luncheon, a 30-minute luncheon, that he realized he had experienced so much trauma that he hadn't treated. And that before the call was over, he had to cut his camera off because he couldn't stop crying and that he was going to seek help. And I was just, one, so proud of him that he recognized that because I know what that means for a Black man. Anytime a Black man is, well, when I was face-to-face, is on the other side of the room from me talking to me. It's an honor to hold that space for them because I know that that is just not very common to come in and seek help and talk about what your vulnerabilities are. And so him, one, recognizing that he needed help, two, even sharing that with me, I was so proud of him and just so grateful that he felt empowered enough to do that. That is great. See, you are a blessing to many. We are going to go to a break. You are listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. My special guest is Kiva Harper, licensed clinical social worker, and we will talk with you soon. Inspire Art Dallas uses advocacy, fundraising, and public events to encourage the flourishing of the City of Dallas Public Art Program and to enrich public art experiences for residents and visitors to the City of Dallas. I'm Kay Kalos, Public Art Program Manager for the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. My name is Kaya and I'm almost a teenager. I have a real problem. 
My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. Welcome back. You are listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. I am your host, Joyce Tapley, and I have our special guest, Kiva Harper, our licensed clinical social worker. A great guest, I must say. We were talking in our last segment about the role of ACEs in mental health care. And I wanted to just talk a little bit more about that, but I wanted to talk about it in relation to community-based health centers. There are quite a few of them in the state of Texas, actually about 100 or so, that are community-based, focused on primary care and prevention and all types of services, medical, dental, and behavioral health. And I'm just curious to know, how can the ACEs program be integrated into the community health care centers, given that they provide all of those primary care services? I think that it should be a standard in the intake packet, you know, with consents and everything, that they will fill that out as well. And I think that it's a tool that could be useful for behavioral health and health providers to, one, you know, hopefully prevent things like heart disease by looking at what their scores were. And then also providing trauma-informed care with the treatments that they are receiving. So then just, for example, the Foremost Family Health Center is community-based health center. They have three locations. They offer pediatric care, OBGYN, family medicine, internal medicine, and dentistry. And they have social workers, psychiatrists. So you're saying that as they come in for their regular visit, even if it's not for behavioral health visit, you're suggesting that they would fill out the paperwork that includes the ACEs questions. Yes. I think like all staff and providers should be educated on the tool and understand how it works. And it should just be integrated in every patient's case. And that would take place every time they come for a visit? Well, they would just fill it out one time. Okay. And then when they do that, I just want to get a better understanding of the purpose of the questions and then how you care for that person based on the answers. Is that how you use that? No, actually, the scale itself or the questionnaire itself is not necessarily a tool that you use to provide services. It just gives you that history. So the categories would be, you know, abuse, neglect and household dysfunction. And so when they answer those questions and anything that's answered in the affirmative lets you know that they've experienced these things. And what they found, what the CDC has found with the ACEs is that the higher the score, then more likely it is that those high schools would translate to problems later in life, such as, you know, headaches, heart disease, things like that. And so it's that connection between behavioral health and health or trauma and health. One of the things I want to just ask you is, are there any other questions or any other thoughts that you might want to share that we had talked about today? Yeah. One of the journeys that I'm on is learning more about decolonization and decolonizing my own mental health practice and 
that has really been an eye-opener because all of the things that I've been taught in school, while certainly relevant, I am starting to find that some of those things don't necessarily apply to the people that I serve. And so I'm finding myself having to learn to study more, to learn about behavior health theorists of color, which I don't think I was taught about any of those when I was in school. And so just learning that the system in which I work is very much whitewashed. And so in order to effectively serve the people that come to see me, I have to educate myself on things that better fit us and that work better for us. Well, we certainly need to have more providers that look like us and feel like you can get whatever care that they need through that person that they're working with. Yeah. What are your thoughts about training other people in the same field that you're in so that we can have more providers in this particular field? I actually do that. You asked me about the S. So the supervision, I'm a licensed clinical social worker supervisor. And so our board allows social workers right out of school with their master's to pursue an advanced license. And that's what the clinical social worker is. And so they are in supervision for a full year with a clinical supervisor who is doing mentoring, providing supervision and oversight of their work. And so I've been doing that since 2008. And I have two groups. I have one group that I provide supervision to, and then I have another group that's only people of color. And it's so interesting. I've only been doing that for about two years and have found that there's such a need just with professionals to have community with other professionals of color. And so that's been really interesting. But yeah, I definitely do that. And I enjoy just preparing the next generation of social workers to do this same work. So let me just make sure I got this correctly for those who are interested in this field. You get your master's degree in social work, then you get a license in clinical social work? Yeah, a lot of people don't even realize that most social workers are trained at the master's level. We do have a bachelor's level, but the majority are trained at the master's level. And so you may see the initials LMSW, and that's a generalist practitioner. And you can stop there if you want, if you're not interested in doing any clinical work. Clinical work would be the psychotherapy. And so in order to be qualified to do that, you have to pursue an advanced license, which takes two years of supervision and passing an exam. And then you become a clinical social worker. And then that gives you the ability to hang your own shingle, open your private psychotherapy practice, assess, diagnose, and treat mental health disorders. Oh, that's wonderful. And then is there a medical doctor or psychiatrist that is your supervisor? No, we can work independently. Now, sometimes if there's a need for psychiatry, we will refer to a psychiatrist. There are some group practices where there are therapists and psychiatrists. I have some in the community that I refer to, you know, should my clients need that, but not every person that I see is taking medication. Okay. So for those who are interested in social work and being a licensed social worker and even potentially being a supervisor, then that's the direction you follow. Yeah. That's great. I really appreciate your being on this show today. Thank you. Ms. Harper. And I just want to say to those who are listening, it is very important that we treat ourselves head to toe. And that means the psychological, behavioral, mental, and then working our way down to our oral health, which is important and the health of our heart and our feet, everything. All of it. Yeah, all of it is important. And I just keep thinking that the only way we can really accomplish all the things we want to do is we need to have a good state of mind. And so it's certainly okay to 
speak with the professional to get out some things that may be bothering you or trauma that's been held inside and get a way to get it out so that you can continue to move on and be successful in life. I really appreciate your being here. Do you have any other things you want to say? I did. I want to share some resources. We talked about people looking for people that look like them. So Mm -hmm. there are a few websites. If you're looking for a therapist of color, there is Therapy for Black Kids, Therapy for Black Girls, and Therapy for Black Men. Those are the names of the websites where you can go in and search by your state, filter through insurance and all of that, and find a provider of color. And those are all .coms, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. Say those again, please. Therapy for Black Kids. Therapy for Black Girls, and Therapy for Black Men. Okay. Ms. Harper, I understand that you are available for speaking and consultation. Is that correct? Yes. How do our listeners contact you? So if your listeners wanted to contact me, the best way to do that is to go to my website, and it's www.kivaharper.com. And to follow me on social media, and if you go to my website, There's a link for each platform, and I'm doing some cool things on social media right now. So definitely follow me, preferably on LinkedIn, but any of them will be okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and you are listening to the Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley, our special guest, Kiva Harper. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you. And that concludes another installment of Healthcare Chat. For all upcoming and previous episodes, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button and you will always be notified when a new podcast is published. Until next time, thank you again for listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley.